Hello and welcome everyone to our next podcast of the Rob and Callie show. Good to have you with us. Come and laugh from New York, or not live, from New York City. I'm with my dear soul brother, Rob K. What's up everybody? This is Rob K. I'm a life coach here in the city. And my full name is Callie Albert and I'm still moniker free. I'm feeling like I'm still title free and maybe that's the first thing that I want to talk about today. Because, you know, we don't plan, we kind of launch into our conversations. We really don't plan what we're going to talk about until we're kind of just staring at each other right now, kind of Wait, working our way you didn't in. get the Excel spreadsheet <laughs> I sent you on, on the order of topics and what we were going to discuss? All right. Well, then I really fucked up. I left my, my producer hat is uh, buried somewhere. God knows where. Um, I think that maybe it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit about the concept of transition. In life. For this last year, I have been in transition. Um, I know you know that word really well. And I do feel like there's so many people that I'm encountering that also are. I don't know if it's because of the economy and just the degree of unemployment that's pervasive now. I don't know if it's a place in life and an age bracket kind of middle, in the middle sort of thing. Um, I'm not sure if it's just the people that, you know, I know because I just know a certain type of um, creative soul. I mean, although I do know plenty of professionals as well that are more white-collar professionals. Anyway, I don't mean to categorize. Um, but for whatever <coughs> reason, it does feel like it's a pretty popular topic right now. Do you think? Yeah. I think especially people who are in, you know, Generation X or around that time, it seems like there's a lot of us where things didn't go as planned or what we thought would work didn't. Right. And, um, I mean, me in particular, I studied advertising in college. I graduated into a recession, was waiting tables just to pay rent, ended up selling cars. After getting an advertising job, I was making less at that than waiting tables. So I sold cars for five years, which I never ever thought growing up in the suburbs I'd end up in a car lot I always thought what, aren't you a used car salesman kind of guy that's actually I was a really good one because I was I like you yeah you're probably the most genuine ethical like the fact that you did well is sort of weird well but I broke the the stigma or the stereotype of a you know a sleazy lying car salesman who's just out to get your money you know I was actually a guy who was trying to be of service and help people get a good car although I, I wanted to make money and you know get a commission because it was straight commission the thing I loved about sales in general because I like studied it while I did it and even when I work with clients I'm, I like to put on my business hat and help them learn negotiation things but I love negotiation like I'm a warrior at heart and I love a good fight. As sensitive as I can be, I love a good fucking fight. So it was great to get in there and negotiate and try and get the best deal for the dealership as well as get a good deal for people where they felt as though it was a win-win situation. But yeah, so there I was selling you know, cars where I thought I'd get an advertising job, be a copywriter, get married, have two kids, two cars in the garage, and have this sort of white picket fence, dreamlike mm -hmm. life. And... You know, I'm on a car lot for five years trying to figure out how I got there. Then I get into, you know, I, I was in Florida at the time, come back to the city and start trying to be a voiceover actor and catering at night. And, you know, I'm working in catering for like six, seven years. Then I'm running part. I thought it'd be a year. I'm like, oh, I'll do this for a year. I'll make nice. it in voiceovers. Yeah. Then I'm like running. Well, I'm running 700, per, 700 guest events. I'm like, how the fuck 
did I end up with a tuxedo on running this event <laughs> when I thought I was going to be an advertising guy or something? So because maybe you looked <clears> hot <throat> in the tux. Say again. Maybe you looked hot in the tux. I guess so. You know, the ladies didn't complain. So no, I don't know. I guess so. But anyway, um, yeah, and it's like you know, then then even so many different things I just touched touched on how my life has been so many different transitions rather than A to B point, you know, from point A to point B and that straight linear life that we're all taught you should have. I know we're such losers that that's what defines us. I mean, I'm, I'm joking because I know better now, but the same thing, my life as a, for the most part, I mean that my, the crux of my career has been as a television producer often freelance, often contracted and working, you know, full time for networks. It just depended on what the, what the gig and what place and time it was. But I often look back and I really feel like my life has been more of a connect the dots than it's been a straight line. And like you said, we're always taught that the constructs of the white picket fence and the husband and the wife and the kids, I really, as unconventional, unconventional and sort of free-spirited and bohemian as I am. I'm also equal parts businesswoman and really like making a good living and having a job and a work culture and being a mover and shaker, as it were, and really being a part of, of, you know, something, a machine that works. I'm really equal parts both, but I feel like on paper, while a lot of people would say very, you know, nice things about my achievements, I feel internally like it's been this haphazard sort of connect the dots thing. And in this last year, um, after working five years, you know, for the, in the most gainful way, gainful in a very, you know, maybe not spiritually was not the best job for me, yeah. but definitely the highest title I ever held, the most money I ever made for, you know, the most awards I ever won, all of those nice things on paper that I'm very proud of. Yeah. My job got eliminated almost exactly a year ago. Right. And so with this milestone, it's a milestone that I've never experienced. It's, I haven't been, I don't want to say I've been unemployed the whole time, um, but definitely it's been a challenge and it's been rocky to find my way into the next gig for reasons that I can't explain given my experience and my connections and reputation and all those things that are, you know, very nice. But for whatever reason, there's something else at play that I'm still trying to make peace with that's telling me that, that those are not the things that are supposed to happen. Transition's a bitch, man. Yeah. It's hard, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you find out who your <clears throat> friends are, who your friends aren't, people that don't return emails, all these cliches. And, you know, you and I talked about this. Part of me was hesitant to even talk about this publicly because, you know, there's parts you don't want to be construed as somebody who suddenly on the on the more vulnerable side of employment, but I also know that it's an important that's, is that's that a nice such, way to put it? That's a delicate way of putting it. Fucking unemployed. <laughs> Would that say better? I mean I'm not and I also I'm actively doing consulting work and freelancing, but it's not taking up Callie's completely lost. <laughs> she has no idea where she's he just, going. He just found me outside under a Hey you box. busy? I need a woman for this show. I'm gonna do the guy's point of view, you do the girl's point of view. Yeah, so I'm just I'm kind of I'm just faking my way through this right now. But he's he's a great teacher, so um but it's really been it's it's a ride. And the reason that I'm, you know, choosing to talk about it is because I know that I know I'm certainly not alone and I know there's a lot of people out there that have come from you know, again, on paper, if you're going to define yourself or find your identity by 
gainful employment and jobs that you feel proud of, and suddenly when it's taken away from you, it really does a number. Yeah. And you start questioning your worth and your creativity and if anyone cares. And was I making up that relationship? I thought we were friends. I thought we had a good working. I thought you valued me and maybe you'll help me for the future. And then when those things don't happen and you start shrinking a little bit, your psyche has the potential to shrink. It's work to find empowerment and to find value in stripped down you know, a stripped down version of yourself, if that makes sense. You know, it's, re- and it also tests your belief system and your spirituality, which is where I feel very blessed that my belief system knows that there's other bigger things at play. Yeah. I really do believe that I have to, I'd be hitting my head against the wall. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. I think it's hard because it's scary. It's really, wait, it's, it's so fear laden. Yeah. It's just primal fear. Like, how the fuck am I going to eat? What am I going to do? Where am I going? And um, the last year, there have been mornings where I just didn't want to get out of bed. I mean, I was literally afraid to start my day. And I would just start using the prayer. I pray for the willingness to change. I pray for the courage to change. Because I know the fear was about me changing. It's about this whole new life, this whole new chapter of my life that I feel is already happening. And I got to say, while we're sitting here recording this, I am so fucking happy. <laughs> like, we could be in the Taj Mahal right now. I don't even give a shit. It's just the fact that we're doing it. And the reason why I want to say that is so if anyone's listening, they're like, oh, I want to do this for a while. Do that for a while. It's do like, it. just, just do it. Just do just it. Just do it, baby. It's yeah. like, get out there and do it. Try it. Yeah. And what we're doing with this is we sat down and we're like, let's just try this. We'll sit down with your computer and mic and we'll just talk. And it's and also still a little bit, if I'm gonna be really frank about it, still fraught with some of our shit. Like a little procrastinating, a little potential for self-sabotage, a little fear, a little anxiety. Like we're still both of us pushing through that as we sit here and commit to these every week. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been <laughs> just so fine the whole way. No, definitely. I mean, even before we met up today, I was like trying to think about what I was going to talk about or editing, editing it already. And it's like, fuck it. We'll get there. We'll just talk. And, um, but yeah, the, the whole thing about having a plan that doesn't work out or, or plans change and then having that fear sit in. And I think one thing that I try and remind clients about and it's something that I talk about in general is really listening to our intuition, which is one reason why I meditate. It's not only so I can feel calmer and more centered and not lose my temper so much, or just sort of be in the moment more and feel just sort of, you know, pretty happy. Those are all great benefits for meditation. But the other thing is it really helps me get in touch with my intuition. And I always tell people our intuition is a great guide for us. And so my next step, I don't have to worry about so much because on some level, I already know, I already know the next step to take. Like we knew, let's just do another episode. Right. You know? Right. It definitely, now you just brought up so many things that I want to speak to all at the same time that my brain just blocked. When I first, actually at my previous job, I've been at meditation, which I I do think we should give a little bit of, um, a little more lip service to. Because I embarked on my commitment to meditation for exactly the same reason. You and I never talked about this. I grew up with a mother who has been doing transcendental meditation (laughs) since the 1970s. But I actually 
entered an oratorical contest when I was 14 or 15, and I had no idea what to write the speech on. So I wrote it on Transcendental Meditation. My mom helped me with the speech. It was influencing our house because all I knew was my mom was you know, going into her, you know, bedroom twice a day for 20 minutes to do something that, you know, I didn't quite understand. Wait, I'm, I just have to stop you. I know that so, sounds kinky, no, but... No, so oratorical contest. I've never even heard of that. Who's your uh, audience? Like, <laughs> do they just pick a random it's audience? A, it's the, it's, it was the Optimist Club that my dad was a member of in the town where we grew up, the Burbs of Jersey. Okay. And it's almost like a, um, those others, I want to say Legionnaires, but that's not right. The, um, like those other, like a rotary club kind of right. the optimist so, club. So they're like, Harold, what's transcendental <laughs> meditation? Exactly. Well, it was ballsy and it was very, very forward thinking. And I didn't know any differently <clears throat> because that's the household I was in. And so I had no, I didn't realize how progressive that was. Right. Cut to many years later. Now we're going back only a few years ago when the same, the job that I recently eliminated my position, the one that, the one that I'm celebrating the year anniversary of not being at. Um, brought meditation into our offices to offer up to the employees that wanted to take it. And it was TM, which is a very specific form of meditation. Right. The point was, it was a great gift to give a bunch of stressed out employees. And for me, it was a tickle because, as I just told the story, it was, you know, deep in the annals of my brain from when I was a kid for because of my mom doing it actively. And anyway, I started to practice that and I learned it. And now in the last few years, I've really um, decided that I wanted to go back to a different modality, which is just a, a more simplistic version where you don't have a mantra <clears throat> and you kind of more focus on your breathing. That I just resonate with that more. But when I first started and the teacher said, why are you interested? The very first thing I said to him is because I want to open up my intuition and get closer to my divine consciousness and have more of a portal for that. Right. Um, you know, you can do it with drugs. You could do it with, uh, meditation Seem to be like the top two choices. And I'm opting for, at least in my adult, in my adulthood, I'm opting for the, I'm opting for the latter. And so, yeah, I don't think there's anything more important. It really is the most spectacular way to hear, to make clear space for your inner voice, which really holds all the answers and can get you through questionable times or when you feel misdirected. Um, mm. I think it's a really, really important thing. So we're pro meditation here. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I talk to people about meditation, even if I'm on a date with girls, it's funny. How sometimes, oh, do you meditate during the date? Um, yeah. And they're like, why do you keep saying Om? <laughs> it's funny. Cause I had a date uh, a couple weeks ago, Re- really cute girl. And we were talking about meditation and she's like, Oh, I really should start meditating. And so I was telling her how meditation is really sitting still for five minutes. Like that's how I started to meditate when I started years ago. You just sit still for five minutes and just pay attention to your breath. That's meditation, y'all. Right. You just learned how to meditate. Exactly. And when you start thinking about something, you bring it back to your breath and time yourself for five minutes. That's it. Right. And, that's and don't it. judge yourself where, you know, oh shit, there's thoughts <clears throat> coming in. That's okay. Just let them flutter in and flutter out and don't judge any of it. Right. And I was like, so I was telling her, yeah, you may want to even, you don't have to pay attention to your breath. You can think of a mantra or a word and you just may want to sit there and go, Rob, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My mantra is only my name. That's the only No, I meant her to say my name. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you meant you. No. I don't know which one's worse. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, no, you can sit there and go, Rob. Rob, and she started laughing at his foot. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Did you get a second date or get any action out of it? We're talking about it, yeah. She was out of town, so yeah. Oh, okay. 
cute girl. But yeah, it's just about practicing sitting still. And it's like, look, we could do a whole fucking show about my resentment to people on their cell phones walking down the street. I mean, it, it's like, I, I think the internet is the greatest thing and the worst thing totally. that's ever been created. And totally. I love the fact that we can record this and upload it and have it on iTunes in a couple of days or whatever. I love that. I think it's great. And our millions of viewers can hear it immediately. Right. You mean four <laughs> viewers that are moving towards millions of viewers. Yes, absolutely. And it's our listeners actually. Right. Even viewers. Yeah, viewers, yeah, right. So um so yeah, and it's like but it so was it oh, I think everybody's so distracted, you know, all the time. And it's like I understand it's good to get information, it's good to communicate. But believe it or not, I leave my cell phone at home sometimes. I try to ignore it as much as I possibly can. I'm certainly not addicted. Mm. Um but it's, yeah, we could do, we could, I could talk for years about this. I just feel like it makes me sad. And sometimes I feel like I'm, I sound really old or something. And there's a generational difference mm. having not grown up with technology the way kids do now. Yeah. But it really makes me sad. I feel, I see people across dinner tables from each other on their phones. Now I understand you need to check your parent work dictates that you have to be on call, whatever it is momentarily. Yeah. But the fact that you walk down any street in New York city and the majority of people are looking down completely oblivious to bumping into people. Yeah. It really, um, it makes me sad. I think, did I tell you this, that I recently wanted to do, um, this is my latest conceptual art project in my head because in my head, I've got <coughs> shit loads of lists of fabulous ideas that have yet to be executed. Um, but I wanted to do one called like look up where you just almost stage like an artistic flash mob oh, where yeah. everybody starts pointing to the top of some high rise building just to make the point that, you, <clears throat> you know, just to exercise the muscle where your heads can look up vertically instead of looking down towards your phone. You yeah. Know, just to make a statement. Yeah. Now, whether anybody else matters is me just being angry or anybody else would give a shit. Yeah. Remains to be seen. But it's, um, it's a good idea. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really... I think it's affecting the way people's my, um, uh, brains are being molded. I think it's diminishing the idea of just having full-on human connection, which you know kind of circles back to us talking about the need for people to feel vulnerable, what we talked about in our last episode, just the need to have a place to go with your truth. Right. Because all of that now has been so masked. Right. You know, even though... <clears throat> There's a cultural relativity benefit to technology too, because the world is smaller, right. and some lonely kid in their bedroom in uh, Cleveland can connect with somebody in China and make the world smaller and feel like they have a sense of tribe or affiliation. And yet, there's no replacement for sitting and talking to someone and looking them in the eye and laughing and just having no distraction. So yeah. I have very mixed feelings about it. I'm not, and it's balanced, right? I'm not saying that cell phones aren't great, the internet's not great, email, websites. I, I love technology in a way. I'm just talking about balance. And it's like, I don't know, it's like, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes for years. And when I see people getting out of the subway and they just got to look at their cell phone before they've come out of the stairwell, it reminds me when I had to light up before I even got outside and I had to have a cigarette as soon as I got yeah. off the subway, you know? Just another addiction or habit. Yeah, it's like, again, I think life in general, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it's really about balance. 
Yeah. And it's like there's a time and a place where it's all good and everything, but it just seems like there's a lot of that going on. I mean, sometimes when I'm on the train, I'll look around and almost, uh, I don't know, at least half the people are looking at their cell phones. Now, maybe 10, 20 years ago, they were reading books or they were doing something else where they weren't interact. It's not like everybody interacts on the subway anyway. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice if for one day, like they had the, you know, uh, friend your, I don't know, befriend your subway yeah. buddy day or yeah. something? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's not like everybody's talking to each other anyway. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's And I, I don't want to sound like an old guy, you know, because there is a value to it. It's just that, like you, it makes me a little sad sometimes. When I, like, I remember I went to a bagel place in Brooklyn when I used to live there. And then there was a kid who was younger, he's uh, mid-20s, and we had to share a high top to eat because it was so busy in the bagel place. And I can't be in an elevator with somebody for, like, a couple of, like, I don't know, like, even the ride-up when I go back to my apartment, I usually say to somebody, hey, it was a nice day or nice weather or, yeah, it's a cool t-shirt or whatever. It's are, like, are you saying you're not comfortable with silence? Just prove me wrong. <laughs> no, it's just that maybe sometimes I'm a little over too over friendly. But I was sitting there with this kid, and I tried to start a conversation with him just to be like a neighbor in the community who happened to be sitting at the same table eating. And I understand, like, look, maybe his girlfriend just broke up with him or something happened. Maybe he just doesn't like talking to people. Maybe he just didn't want to talk. That's fine. But he was on his cell phone the whole time, and I think it was the first time this is about five years ago. It was the first time where I ever tried to interact with somebody who was more interested in their cell phone than talking to me. Mm. <laughs> so it was it's awakening. It, yeah, it was a different experience. Yeah. I'm like, this, oh, this, this kid doesn't want to talk to me at all. I'm like, yeah, I don't blame him. You know, maybe if I was his age, I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking to me for? You know, but I just, I think that's where I started to learn that people were really interested in their cell phones. Yeah. I do think there's a bigger statement in all of this too, Yeah, which is that there, I think a, um, a lot of people have that reflexive tendency to check a phone as soon as the plane touches down. Right. And everywhere else, every other facet, because they, they feel a need for connectivity or for somebody to be looking for them and yeah. wanting yeah. them, a need to feel like somebody is wanting, yeah. you know, somebody's yeah. wanting you or wanting your company. Yeah. Right? That's really what I feel like it breaks down to. And it reminds me of when I, I guess I did have my own version of technological addiction. When I was a kid, <coughs> CB radio had come out for like a super, you know, just a quick trend. And we had one in the house. I think it was just a lark, funny thing. I was addicted to this thing. Mm-hmm. I am not necessarily proud of this. Ten four, buddy. I had a monitor. What was, like what was your You know what it was? Handle. Actually, it's kind of appropriate. Little did I know, but I think I adopted it more from my mom, who was doing more of her psychic weekends and things. Right. Might have been her name. Right. Psychic Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, again, I and was you were like, what, such four, a kid. 14? Oh, no, no, I was three. I was three. Oh. No, no, I'm joking. I was, yeah, I was an early, I was a, I was a teenager, <clears throat> a preteen. But it got to the point where I almost didn't want to go on family vacations because I I, I was lonely. I right. was not the most socialized or social kid. And that was my way of feeling connected. And, you know, you now fast forward to where we are now. Think about it. It's really the same premise. It's 
people having a need. It's a basic primal human need that we all feel to feel connected, to feel heard, yeah. obviously to feel loved, to feel safe. Very, very <clears throat> basic primal things. If you want to, you know, really distill it down to that. Yeah. So what do we do with that? The counter is it's kind of um, what John Nesbitt wrote about in uh, Maker Trends or Mega Trends 2000 many years ago in the 80s, and he had a chapter called High Tech High um, High Touch High Tech or High Tech High Touch, with you know predicting that with the advent of more technology, people were going to feel more separate and lonely, and there was going to have to be some way to compensate. So what is that? I pose to you, my friend. How do we create more connectivity with people? Well, I just got to say, you bring up a good point. It's it's really about connection. And it's like when I was that teenager who was really depressed and was having trouble in high school, you know, I was, I had poor health in high school during part of it and really threw my social life off. And there was a time where I was just really depressed about it. And it's like, I could have used the internet back then. I could have used a way to connect with other people to not, to make me feel not so alone. So in a way it's a blessing for some kid who is in Cleveland, like you're saying, and feels totally depressed and connects with somebody in China. And then they kind of get through the night where they don't feel like their life is hopeless or whatever it may be. They get some inspiration just about connecting with another human being. So you bring up a great point. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, I had my own ways before the internet, I used to be addicted to television. I mean, yeah, growing me up, too. I used to eat junk food and watch television all the time when I was a teenager. Yeah, I do too. That's how I got through my teen years. And it's like, um, so there's all different ways to sort of avoid ourselves and also avoid other people, you know, and isolate in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, I think it's about practicing. It's just practicing balance and trying to not do something so much that you don't want to do, you know, and it's like starting meditation. Instead of practicing not meditating, you start practicing meditating where you start doing it a little bit and then a little bit more. And then all of a sudden it's a habit. What's that thing? If you do something for 21 days, it's a habit. Yeah, it becomes, 21 or 28 days, it like yeah. rewires your brain and it actually becomes just a reflexive. Yeah. It becomes a habit. Yeah. 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 So I think it's about that, but I also think it's a good challenge because the internet is so important to all of us. There's so, and just our cell phones. It's so texting is great. I mean, I remember dating a woman and we text all the time and I still have the scroll of the text and I read them sometimes and I giggle sometimes because (laughs) it just shows our, it shows our whole relationship. And so in a way, like I love texting, I think it's a great way to connect with somebody quickly. So you don't have to have a conversation. I just think it's about just trying to, again, not to be redundant, but practice balance. Yeah. And I can't stand to, I mean, I like texting if it's just for quick and easy, mm-hmm. but to have a conversation, to be asked out on a date, to have to anything that's intimate or, you know, where you have to accomplish a real, you know, message or resolve something, I can't stand it. And yet I'm learning now that again, kids find resent when someone leaves them a voicemail because they find it to be inconvenient. That just, I have a hard time. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. Yeah, I really do. And again, I understand the idea of convenience and quick and all that, but I think it's compromising our human nature. And so I decide, I've just decided in the moment that I think we should start a crusade, the Robin Kelly crusade for a day a week, no technology. Unrealistic? No, I think that's, that's interesting. Not us. I'm talking about everyone else. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good idea. It's an yeah. interesting idea. I just, I just think it would be something if everybody. I mean, it's like you play with leaving your phone at home. I definitely will. Ne- I won't say never, but it has to. There has to be a really good reason that I would ever have a phone on a dinner table, right, with somebody, right. Um, you know, that's just like really a turn yeah. off if someone else does it. Yeah. And for me, I really try not to do it. I like to be really present, and I feel like. Anybody that I love deserves that. Yeah. You know, that I'm very much there and present for them. And well, and I also think everyone's on their own evolutionary path. So people who have to like be on their phones all the time, they probably have friends like that. And that's the kind of vibe they have. That's the kind of stimulation. That's the, the interaction and connection that, that's going on. Right. I'm not that kind of guy. Right. So I'm a little different. I think everyone's on their own path. Some people don't want to connect with other people or talk a lot. They want to sit around in a group and just be on their phones. That's fine. Right. Checked out. You're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm judging. Am I being judgmental? No, I, I, I started the judgmentalism, <laughs> <laughs> the judgmentalism. No, I started that with the whole thing. And as we're talking about, I'm like, you know, it's like, I don't have any right to judge. I got my own things, ways to distract myself, or I've had habits in the past that haven't been good for me, or maybe not were that great for me, or other people judge, like, I don't know, who the fuck knows. But yeah. it, it's more about the fact that we're talking about how life has changed. You know, life continues to change, and different inventions and creations and businesses and products, it's kind of incredible. I mean, I mean, look... In this whole thing with the iWatch, it's like, do we oh, really God, yeah. need a fucking watch on our wrist all the time where we can check in and check our email and talk on the phone? And it's like, really? Now you got to have a watch? But apparently, yeah. Like, there's a lot of people in the public who want this thing. I used to sleep out for... Rolling Stone or Rolling Stones or police tickets. That's what I would sleep out for in college. The idea that people are sleeping on the streets to spend hundreds of dollars on yet another product that makes them feel like they are behind the times and that what they just recently bought is obsolete because they bought it five minutes ago. I I don't, I can't even finish one sentence. I have no frame of reference for that. I don't get it. I get it intellectually. Yeah. And I have some really negative feelings about like, it really kind of sickens me. I guess though, it goes back to whatever, you know, what floats your boat, what you're interested in. That's what really gets them excited is the next Apple product. And look, we're on iTunes. I love Apple. You know, my albums on Apple. I love Apple. I, I think they create amazing products. I still am amazed that on my phone, I have my entire, you know, 600 albums that I used to have on CD or whatever, like, or more, I don't know, but I'm amazed. Like I have all that in the palm of my hand. When an iPod came out, that was like my favorite thing ever. I was like, this is incredible because I love music. So yeah, I mean, there's amazing aspects to it. And then there are other aspects where I don't know. And it's like, sometimes I think about what Prince said, how Prince is like, the internet's going to be over. he, He said this, like, I think 10 years ago when the internet started to pick up, or maybe five years ago, he's like, five, 10 years, the internet will be over. Oh, that's balls, man. There's, yeah, that's why I love him. Because Le- he's still throwback, 70s. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that's the most realistic thing. Yeah. But I do love him. Leave it for to many reasons. Yeah, we'll leave it to Prince to say that, you know. But I think it will be interesting. You know, what's going to happen with the internet, you know, five, 10, 20, 50 years? Who knows? So does this tie into the concept of transition at all? I feel like we need to talk about that more. It's just such an important topic, and I don't mean to over 
choreograph us. But I How did we like, even get on complaining know. about everybody and their cell phones? I don't know. We go on to all kinds oh, of Oh, because we were too. talking about meditation, and yeah. I was talking about how that oh, seems to be... To find our truth in our voice. Well, but also that that seems to be the opposite of meditation, with everybody overstimulating themselves all the time and always like being on the run with all this technology, right. rather than sitting still, just breathing right. for five minutes. So I would say also just getting back to, because I want to do justice to this. This is, and I don't even mean my own, even though it's been quite a ride. Um, but I think there's so many people that are going through it. And I guess to your point about the magic of getting quiet for all the times that I was worried about money, crying that I don't know what my purpose is, upset that I felt hurt that, um, some, you know, somebody betrayed me from my work life or, that I thought I was, um, that somebody wasn't reciprocating efforts that I had helped them with or the times where you worry about, um, you know, what you're supposed to do next or what, you know, it's also, it, it sounds like midlife crisis stuff, but it happens to come up at what any time that you, some, something changes, somebody dies, you get divorced, you lose a job. These are all sort of those dark night of the soul moments that can really challenge who you think you are and what your comfort place is. And so that's where getting quiet, meditating, being in nature, being around people you love, trying to open your mind, trying to trust that something new is going to happen, reading books that you might not have read before can really, really help because you have to come up with a new paradigm for the way you think about things because suddenly a floor or a rug or whatever the expression has, has fallen out from underneath you. Right. And so I think the key is to create whatever quiet, whatever space you can through whatever tool so that you can hear what your inner voice is telling you to do. And often it's not what your head was telling you to do for 20 years. Yeah. You know, and often it means that you have to take a risk or take a leap or do something different or make a career change or be alone for a while or, you know, whatever the thing is that you are not comfortable doing. So I know I'm trying to cover way too much vast distance in a short period of time, but that's what I would offer. That's, that's what's kept me sane on the days when I've been sane. There's been plenty of days where I haven't been sane, yeah. but I think there's been more sane days than not than insane days as I go through this process myself and try to figure out what my next chapter is going to be. Yeah. And I don't have the answers yet. So stay tuned. Yeah. This is one of my answers, doing this with you, mm-hmm. getting back to... You know, we talked about like how this is something we would, we talked about. I think this is one of the first things we talked about on the show, actually, is that this was one of the first things that we talked about early in our friendship. And it took <clears throat> us a really long ass time to get there. Yeah. And so just the idea of honoring something that's so true to us mm-hmm. is a really, it, it really helps with, it, it makes you feel like you've had a good day. Yeah. Being with somebody that you love, being with a good friend talking a bunch of shit into a microphone and hoping somebody might care about listening to it Yeah, really is true for us. Yeah. So I just, you know, I really, I can't say enough about how those little baby steps can really make a difference in your psyche to, you know, for other good things to come in. Well, and those epiphanies or those aha moments are just priceless. They're so amazing. And for me, it's about just taking the next right step and whatever my intuition feels is the next right thing to do. You know, and it usually is about getting out of my comfort zone and trying to be, you know, a a big boy, you know, trying to be a little bit bigger. And if I get afraid about being bigger or taking a risk, 
to use a little prayer and meditation to kind of get the courage to do it and try it, you know, because you can always change your mind. Yeah. You can always change your mind. And that's something I've learned in life that nothing is really written in stone. Things change all the time. Right. So you might as well try. Right. Stretch those muscles, people. That's right. That's right. Um, I was going to say one other thing that, um, um, yeah, and just basically, you know, getting out of your comfort zone is scary. Right. You know, and it's the most beautiful, magical thing you could do. I, I have to cite this one. I wish I could remember the specific pages, but I was recently rereading, uh, Rilke's book, Letters to a Young Poet, which is a beautiful book. And this man is so wise. And one of the things he talks about is being alone and the discomfort of that and stretching muscles with all that we are put on this earth to feel to capacity. And it's our responsibility to ourselves and to our divine maker or whatever foo-fooey words you want to use to really use ourselves to stretch ourselves in the fullest ways. So if you feel like shit, make sure you really know what it feels like to feel like shit and sit with that. Yeah. Just as much as it's comfortable feeling the highs. Yeah. It's really essential to feel the the uncomfortable spaces because it's a part of being human. Mm-hmm. He says it way more eloquently. I I encourage anybody to pick up that book. It's a very yummy pocket-sized book that you can throw into your back pocket and carry around with you. It's a beautiful, like more spiritual than any quote-unquote spiritual or self-help book it could be. Yeah, Roka was a great writer. So many great quotes by him. But you you made me think of something that I, I have written about or thought of or talked about. I don't know. But I say that um, the healing is in the pain. It's like right in the pain. Instead of Because I say the pain won't be denied. So it's like go right into the pain because that's where the healing is. And that's where the magic is really going to happen. And that's where the change is going to happen that you truly want. The other thing. Run toward the darkness, people. Yeah, right. Run toward yeah. the darkness. Right. Run toward the martini. Maybe every once in a while. Right. I know that, you know, some every once in a while that's what, what's got to be done. But yeah. Yeah. really you've got to run toward <clears throat> the discomfort because, sorry, I didn't mean to. I totally cut you No, out. no, it's, it's, it's right. I mean, easy does it. You don't have to run towards the darkness all the time, you know. But it's like, you know as much as you can stand to sort of, you know, just be with that uncomfortability. It's like, I remember, um, a therapist said to me once, I was telling him I felt lonely at night. Like the tough times for me were between nine o'clock at night. And when I went to bed, like that was the toughest type. That was the toughest time to feel really lonely. And, um, my therapist said, why don't you just feel the loneliness? And I was like, Oh, (laughs) that's an idea. And so to just sit with the loneliness, you know, and instead of distracting myself from that. And a lot of times there's a lot of sadness there where I just need to emote a little or write about it or just feel sad and go to bed, you know? So there was some value in that where I kind of grew through that, you know? I think this is just so great that we're doing this because it's something that... Do you think? Yeah. We think so. I, I'm just so <laughs> amazed at us. I don't know what anybody else thinks or what the fuck they're thinking. They probably stopped listening about 15, 20 minutes ago. Probably. But it's I'm like, listening. no, but I, you know, this is where the value comes in with doing a project with somebody that you've known for a long time, because I think about where I was when we first met. And again, that's where meditation has helped me. I've healed a lot of my own emotional stuff and a lot of my own issues and 
just things from the past because of meditation, which we can talk about another time, but it's, uh, it's just really gratifying. So thanks, Callie. Amen, brother. I'm with you. With that, that is the end of this podcast. Really appreciate you guys listening. If you want to have a life coaching session with me or check out my album, I have a life coaching album called You Are the Hero Coaching and Affirmations. Just go to robk.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about me, you can go to callialpert.com. And if you'd like to contact us, we welcome your feedback, comments, critiques, questions, anything that has the alliterative sound of a k. That was just a dumb. Did you notice that? That's that's right. Okay. You're just you know going yeah, with it. Little, yeah, you're just uh, trying to be you know creative. Please feel free to email us at the Rob and Callie Show at gmail.com. The spontaneous Callie Alpert. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Thank you.